All right, well, we're jumping back into the Psalms this morning, and uh, as we have entitled this series, Psalms, Songs for Every Season of the Soul. And you can pick up by the picture that we're using for the psalm this morning that this is one of those psalms in hard places, uh, a particularly hard place that we'll see as we get into it, but it is a, it is a psalm that helps us navigate through a particular hard place. So grab a Bible or something with the scriptures on it and turn over to Psalm 11, Psalm chapter 11. One of the things that this psalm is going to raise for us is, is something that is woven into every human heart, and that is a desire to be safe, to be safe. And boy, isn't there a lot of talk in our American culture today of safe places, of sanctuary. In fact, what's this building called that we're sitting in traditionally? It's called the sanctuary. It's amazing how many people that are looking for sanctuaries won't come to the one that's been around for a couple thousand years. Um, but even the building is, is not enough to provide a safe place. And, and this psalm is an encouragement. It's an instruction on what it means to live in a safe place. In fact, the only safe place, which is interestingly enough also the most significant place that any of us could possibly live. And so let me just read the first three verses, and then uh, we'll get enough of a sense of what this is all about here and, uh, and, and what the particular challenge is of, of a threat uh, to someone's well-being. So Psalm 11, beginning in verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul... Flee as a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in hearts. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would bring these words to life and make the application that you desire in each of our hearts and lives. Thank you for being so good at that. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, the first six words there, in the Lord I take refuge, is the voice of a very confident person. It's one's confident voice. And those six words, if you will, sum up the Christian life. They sum up what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In the Lord, I take refuge. Now, you'll notice that the word Lord there is all capitals, which means that this is the covenant name for God. It's the name that emphasizes two things primarily. One, it emphasizes that he is the self-existent God. He has always been, he will always be. And no matter how much he gives out, he never uses up any of himself. And thus, at the burning bush, the bush burned, but it was not consumed. And that's the emphasis, one of the emphases on this very name. The second thing that this word for God emphasizes is the relationship that he has with people, individuals and collectively. 
This name emphasizes that he is in a covenant relationship with people. He is in a binding relationship with people. He's in a relationship where he is committed to it and nothing will ever be broken on his side of the equation. And so you put those two things together and what this means is that this is the God, this is the Lord who brings all of who he is to the individual who will trust him and take refuge in him, and the individual who will do that, whatever they need, God supplies it to them, and he never uses up any of who he is. And thus the confident voice says, in the Lord I take refuge. Now let me pull the word refuge out of that verse for just a moment, and let's just look at just the word refuge. When you hear the word refuge, what comes to mind? Tell me some things that pop into your head. Okay, a safe place? Pardon? Shelter, okay. You're fleeing from something? Yeah. So with the rains and the floods that we've experienced, some people would go to what? To shelters. They would seek refuge from that. Now, oftentimes when we think of refuge, the word refuge, often the idea of being passive or, or running away to be safe is, is uh, the primary thought there. And that nothing could be further from the truth when you put it in this context. Because when you take refuge in the Lord, then wherever the Lord is going, you're going too. Is there anything defensive about God? Is He ever on the defense? Is He ever in the protect mode? He's always the God who is moving. He's always the God who is acting. He's always the one who is is, uh, working out His plan. Always. So when a person, when I take refuge in the Lord, what does that mean? That means that wherever the Lord goes, whatever He's doing, that's where I'm going, that's where I'm doing. And so while it is a safe place, it is a place of activity. There is nothing passive about that statement. And in fact, if you have a King James Bible or New King James, it's translated, in the Lord I trust. And so this particular word is, is uh, translated this way because of the context of the threats that are coming from other people. And so if we pull this over, well, and let me just say, add this to it. The Lord is the boss of eternity, right? He's in charge of all of eternity. And so when we take refuge in Him, we fit in correctly to all of eternity, He's the boss of world history. And so when we take refuge in Him, we're right where we should be in the, in the midst of world history. He is the boss of American politics. And so if you're finding your refuge in Him, guess what? You're going to be going and doing what He wants you to do. He's the boss of a family. Which means no matter how much dysfunction and brokenness there is, for the person who takes refuge in him, they will experience what he has for them in that family. 
individually, so on and so forth. So, for example, we come over to the New Testament and we read the Great Commission, so familiar to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what's the last phrase? And behold, notice this, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does that mean? For a follower of Jesus who takes refuge in God, what will they always be up to? Making disciples. Because He is with us in this, and if our refuge is in Him, we will be doing what He is doing, right? You see how that works? So when you think of, in the Lord is my refuge, never think passivity. Always think whatever the Lord is up to in this situation, I'm not on the defense. I'm not pulling back. I am going and doing whatever the Lord is doing, and according to the Great Commission, in the midst of every situation, I am being a disciple of His, and I am making disciples of other people. Does that make sense? And so when the psalmist says, in the Lord I take refuge, the only thing that King David, to whom this is ascribed, is saying, is he says, I act upon myself to find myself in the Lord. I act upon myself to be and going where the Lord wants me to go. And that is a life of confidence. That's a life of making a difference. And so those six words in so many ways sum up the Christian life. Now there's an age-old challenge to living that out. And that is there are voices that come from within... And there are voices that come from without that say, danger, 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 pull back. And that's what we read in these verses. And we do not know whether these are thoughts that David had, or whether it was his family or his friends that were saying this to him. But what they were saying is, flee as a bird to your mountain. For behold, I mean, wake up and look, David. Open your eyes to the danger that is all around you. The wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. Says, David, come to grips with what's going on around you. There are people who are bending the bow. Their arrow is pointed at you. One of the horrible things about bows and arrows is you don't know that they're shooting at you. You don't hear a thing until you experience it. And the shooting of arrows is used figuratively of words as much as it is of physical arrows. David, get a grip, man. Open your eyes. There are people that are either saying things that are trying to destroy you or they are physically trying to put you to death. Flee as a bird to your mountain. Get out of here. That's a figure of speech that's used throughout the Scriptures. We're familiar with it, aren't we? Haven't we all seen our own children or somebody else's children in a park or at the 
beach with a flock of birds? What happens? Man, they got to run through them. And what do the birds do? They flee as a bird to the safe place. I mean, uh, Southwest Airlines has taken this whole thing and made whole commercials out, hasn't it? I just love those commercials where something horribly embarrassing happens and they have the phrase what? Want to get away? Well, that's what they're saying to David here, not because of embarrassment, but because of an actual threat to his life. You better get away. Get away. And it seems that this was even having an effect on David because he says at the end of verse 1 there, how can you say to my soul, listen, the Lord is my refuge. Why are you speaking to my soul that he's not enough? And so often these words come from those who genuinely care about us and they're just trying to be reasonable. That's often the voice. And it raises the question that we have in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And righteous doesn't mean they're perfect people. It means those who have taken their refuge in the Lord, those who are living in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the question, isn't it? If the foundations are destroyed, if the normal mode of things is disrupted, if things are not the way they should be, what can a person who wants to follow Jesus do? If you're growing up in a dysfunctional family, the foundations are crumbling. What are you as a Jesus follower supposed to do? If you're working at a place and, and there's no sense of truth, there's no sense of things being done right and just, what are you as a Jesus follower supposed to do? If we live in a country where the foundations are being destroyed, what are we as followers of Christ supposed to do? It is the question, isn't it? It's always the question that comes up. And so we have the one confident voice of, of uh, David saying, in the Lord I take refuge. And then there's these contrary voices, either from within or from without. But the question is, if the foundations are destroyed, if things are crumbling, what is a righteous person supposed to do? And this is where we just see a divine switch in this psalm that is so dramatic in fact, in some Bibles, the way they print it, there's a fairly substantial space between verses 3 and 4. Because what is one supposed to do if the foundations are destroyed in the home or the workplace or politically or wherever? What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to quit looking at the foundations and look through the foundations to the Lord who is in heaven Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. 
It doesn't mean to live in denial of what's going on. Just don't let that create your reality. There's a greater reality. It doesn't mean not to be honest with things, but be real honest about where the real foundation for everything lies. And it doesn't lie here. It lies in heaven. And so what is one supposed to do when those contrary voices start to come in? I just put it this way. Stoke your confidence in the Lord. Stoke your confidence in the Lord. That's what we've been doing all morning, right? I mean, that's why what we've been doing through our singing, that's what we've been doing through listening to Barbara's some of the highlights of her life. Stoking our confidence in the Lord. Why? Because we all have these contrary voices. I think you better pull back. They're going to get you. I think you should flee to a safe place. When it's real clear, the Lord has called us to be doing what we should be doing. And in the rest of this psalm, we have the way to stoke our confidence in the Lord. Let me read verses 4 through 7. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. And so we see several things here about how we stoke our confidence in the Lord. First of all, never forget that the Lord is holy and He is ruling. He is actively ruling. That's what that phrase, the Lord is in His, what kind of temple? Holy temple. What does it mean that the Lord is holy? Well, in this particular context, the emphasis is the fact that He is so holy that wickedness is more of an affront to him than it ever will be to you and me. And his love for those who are his and his care for them is greater than we could ever care for ourselves. God has a sensitivity towards those who are taking refuge in him to care for them. And he has a sensitivity towards unrighteous, wicked things that is infinitely off the charts. You and I have no idea of what an affront unrighteousness is and what and how his heart beats for those who take refuge in him. And so he is holy and he is ruling the Lord's throne is in heaven. He's ruling. Do not mistake what feels like inactivity from God as inactivity from God. Just wait and see. Just keep letting the Lord be your refuge. And he goes on and he says, his eyelids behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. So he goes on here and tells us some of what, he, what he's always up to. Now, he doesn't ever have to tell us this, but thankfully he does. He says, I just want you to understand what I'm up to. 
the Lord beholds, he tests. Now, now, what were the contrary voices saying to the one who says, uh, I will take my refuge in the Lord? What do the contrary voices say? Behold, look around you and notice what's going on. And what does the psalmist say here? The Lord beholds. He knows what's going on. He sees. His eyes, let me find it here. Uh, verse 4, his eyes behold, he never misses anything. His eyelids test the Son of Man. It's kind of like he squints. And, and, and what is he doing here? The Lord is testing. He's testing. Why? Because tests reveal things. Boy, we all know this, don't we? Either excitingly or painfully. Right? Test reveal. That's why teachers give tests. Well, the, the Lord tests and the tests reveal. It, the picture here uh, is of taking uh, some gold that's mined out of the ground and put into a fire. And, and the fire causes the things that are not true gold, they can't stand the heat. And so they either get burnt up or they run off. And what you're left with is the gold that is now purer than it was before. And that's what the Lord does in every circumstance. Every circumstance, is, to some extent, is a test. And those who are not going to find their refuge in the Lord will run off. And they will move towards greater acts of wickedness and unrighteousness. But the one who takes his refuge in the Lord will, in fact, grow to be more like Christ. They grow. And there's a greater sense of who they are. There's a greater sense of confidence in living and making a difference in their life. And so we see here that it reveals. It reveals righteousness. It reveals wickedness. And as that is revealed, then, the Lord rewards. And boy, he doesn't mince any words here, does he? Verse 6, upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Don't worry about it if they're shooting at you with arrows in the dark. God is keeping track. And that is some very strong language, isn't it? Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone. Um, this burning wind, evidently there was a wind that would come through uh, Israel that in a few hours would turn green vegetation into dry, burnable wood. And that's the picture. The justice of God comes upon the wicked and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. That's that, that's that picture. They will drink that cup of the wrath of God. And so, tests reveal the Lord rewards the wicked because the wicked, when the test comes, move towards greater wickedness. The righteous who take their refuge in the Lord, they move towards greater righteousness. And look at verse 7. Look how the Lord rewards them. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright 
will behold his face. The point of being a follower of Jesus is not to have an easy life. The point of being a follower of Jesus is to behold the face of God. And that is a phrase that just describes the intimacy, the closeness, the presence of God. You remember John, Jesus in John 14 says, you know, in my, don't, don't be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And many people stop right there. Jesus didn't stop there. Because he didn't go to prepare a place for us that where I am, there you may be also. It's always about the presence of God. And the great Arianic blessing was that the Lord's face would shine upon us, that he would lift up his countenance upon us. And the assurance to those who take their refuge in the Lord is that they will behold his face. They will behold his face and experience his presence in the midst of whatever goes on. Well, let's walk through some applications of some people who did this. Um, let's, let's look first at David, since that's all we may have time for here. But what were the circumstances behind David writing this? Well, we don't precisely know, but David's life has lots of different possibilities where this psalm would have been applicable and would have been the psalm of his heart. Um, you remember that David was selected to be king of Israel after King Saul, the ruling king, had disobeyed the prophet and had done some things he should not have done. And so it says that God took the Holy Spirit from him and he sent a distressing spirit upon Saul. Well, David, knowing that he was the anointed king, there's a transition period here where Saul continued to be the actual king and David was the anointed king. And there's a lot of things that happened in there. One of the first things that we're told that happens is Israel was in battle against the Philistines and there was this guy named Goliath who was a giant. And, and he was blaspheming God. And the people of men of Israel would go up and they'd freak out, so they'd run back. David took lunch to his brothers who were on the battle line. And, uh, and when they got up there, David was concerned that here's a man blaspheming God and they're all shrinking back. They were not taking refuge in the Lord. The Lord stands up against people like that. And David had a sense of that, even though he was a young and the youngest of all his brothers. And in fact, when he started to talk and raise some of the issues of this, his, one of his brothers says, oh, you just had to leave those few little sheep to bring us lunch? You are insolent to think that anybody could stand up to Goliath. They just mocked and ridiculed David for what he was doing. And I wonder if this psalm then, these, these contrary voices, who do you think you are, David? You're an idiot to go against Goliath. But man, he had a confident trust in God. And he says, listen, when I cared for sheep, a lion would come in with my bare hands. I'd rescue that sheep from a lion. And that wasn't me, that was God. I don't think Goliath is a big challenge for God. 
He's just looking for somebody who will live their life with God as their refuge and go where God is going. And so you know the story. He tried the army armor on. That was a joke. Didn't fit. And so he takes his sling and five stones and walks out to meet Goliath with the Lord as his refuge. In fact, I should just read you a verse out of 1 Samuel 17. It says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And so David says, Listen, the Lord's my refuge. The Lord wants to deal with Goliath. I'm going. And what happened? He defeated Goliath. That's what it looks like to take refuge in the Lord. It's stuff like that. Well, not too long after that, uh, David, Saul had this distressing spirit, and they called David in to play because the music would help. But the music didn't help perfectly, and at least on two occasions, Saul picked up a spear and tried to kill David. Do you think any voices went through his head? This is stupid to be here. Do you think anybody said, flee like a bird to the mountains? I suspect so. But he knew that that was God's calling upon his life. And, and, and he took refuge in the Lord, knowing that Saul's spear could never put him to death if it wasn't God's plan. And then he left that, and Saul chased him around. Twice David had the chance to take Saul's life, and what? He would not. And so there's many occasions here where David had to say, in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. And Goliath was conquered, and he stayed faithful to being under a wicked, wicked king who literally sought to put him to death. In the Lord I take refuge. Um, one other example here. Uh, and that's a political example since that may have some application to us today. Um, what do you do when the foundations are destroyed? I mean, I've, I've at least lived long enough to watch the anxiety with every incoming president. And how are we going to survive, especially amongst Christians? How are we going to survive? And uh, there was a prophet of God who uh, served a, a godly king, King Uzziah. And when King Uzziah died, the sense is he began to freak out because his replacement was very ungodly. And so we're told in Isaiah chapter 6 that in the year that King Uzziah died, this prophet Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. What did God do for Isaiah? He did exactly what David did here. Don't live in denial of what's going on, but look through the crumbling things to a God who is holy, holy, holy. And what was the response? All of a sudden, Isaiah was convicted about his own sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. And God purged that in a very dramatic way. And then the Lord says what? Who can I send? And the response was, here am I, 
send me. And Isaiah lived making the Lord his refuge all the days of his life under some very ungodly kings. That's what it means to do that. It means that God has called us to be confident, making a difference in the way that we live. When the Lord Jesus was discipling His disciples, uh, they noticed that there was an aspect to His life that He kept sneaking away and praying. And they caught Him praying a few times. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And you, you know this well. Jesus, when He taught the disciples, and thus has taught us today to pray, He said, here's the beginning point. Our Father, which is what? In heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. What did Jesus teach? He says, when you pray, start here. When you pray, stoke your confidence in the Lord. Just begin by recognizing He's our Father. We have a relationship with Him. He's in heaven, and He is holy. And then pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And implicit in that is, I want to be a part of your kingdom coming. And so Jesus jumps in at verse 4 here. And he teaches us that's the beginning point of prayer. Stoke your confidence in the Lord. Why do we come together every Sunday? Why is it important to be here every Sunday? To stoke our confidence in the Lord. Because it's a tough world. It's a tough world living with me, myself, and I. There's enough contrary voices that float around in my head. It's important to come and stoke our confidence in the Lord. Why is it important to be in a small group, a life group? To stoke your confidence in the Lord. Why is it important to pray as Jesus taught us to pray and to begin with who God is? To stoke your confidence in the Lord. Why is it important to read the Word? To stoke your confidence in the Lord. Because it is a barren land and there are people who are taking aim at you and shooting at you, some you know and some you don't know. And there's advice coming from all kinds of people, flee, find a safer place. And God is saying, no, I've got Goliath I want you to kill. Say like King David, I take my refuge in the Lord. The Lord is my refuge. Amen? Let me give you a chance, if that's where you're at this morning, just to say, well, let me get it right. In the Lord, I take refuge. Let's say it together, and Stephen, why don't you come on. In the Lord, I take refuge. Well, let's stand together, and we're going to sing. And uh, even as we sing, uh, just stoke your confidence in God. Stoke your confidence in God.